Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life, produced by Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Think about the top things that add stress to your life. Well, if you're like most people, there's a good chance that money issues is at the top of that list. Today, we're going to talk about how financial stress can create health problems and what you can do to reduce that stress. Listen in. The price you're paying for financial stress is much higher than you know. Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life. I'm Bob Peacock. Nearly everyone has experienced financial stress at one time or another. That stress can manifest itself in many ways, like lack of sleep, lack of focus at home and at work, and it can also affect your relationships. In fact, there are multiple studies that say financial stress is one of the leading causes of divorce. Debt.org says that financial stress causes some people to get angry, angry at creditors who are continually sending them bills, angry at the mail carrier who delivers the bills, angry at their spouses for not making more money, and angry at the kids for needing braces in the first place. So, in short, financial stress can make you angry at life. Even worse, that stress can affect your physical health. It can cause back and muscle tension, ulcers, heart arrhythmia, high blood pressure, depressions, migraine, anxiety, and insomnia. And there are many studies that even link debt to higher death rates. So the question is, what can we do to minimize that financial stress? In today's episode, we welcome Jeannie Thompson, who is a 401k and retirement expert and the head of Workplace Solutions Thought Leadership at Fidelity Investments. Jeannie has appeared on numerous financial programs and network television shows and many podcasts, and we're thrilled to have her with us today. Jeannie, welcome. Thank you, Bob. Glad to be here. To improve our physical well-being, we all know that we should eat better, sleep better, get more exercise, and for some reason, many of us just don't do that. We figure that we're feeling pretty good, so why make changes? I would guess that that's one of the biggest hurdles we face with financial well-being as well. It's getting people to pay attention and see why they need to make a change in their behavior in the first place if they want to achieve financial wellness. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's definitely accurate. Most people don't really pay attention until something happens and then they're forced into paying attention. You know, we study different life events and generally it's a life event and it could be, you know, something as simple as your hot water heater breaking or it could be something much bigger like, you know, going through a divorce or taking care of having to take care of an aging parent unexpectedly. That's when people really sit up and pay attention to what's going on in their financial lives. But then it also has a halo effect into other parts of their lives where they're not sleeping well, they're not eating well, and they're generally just not making the best choices as a result of that event that causes not only financial stress, but stress to the other aspects of their life. Right. So what are some of the biggest issues that are causing people all over the world to have financial stress? And what are some of the mistakes that we are making as individuals that lead to that stress? Yeah, so some of the biggest issues that, um, you know, globally are causing people stress is really managing debt. We see debt as, as have, is one of the biggest drivers of what's causing people, you know, not to have a good handle on their budget. It's impacting their ability to save, and it could be even impacting their ability to protect the assets that they have. So when we think about, you know, what makes, you know, your your the, the portfolio of your financial picture, there's really four components. It's debt, it's managing a budget is the second, 
The third is savings. And the fourth category is protection. But really, it's that debt category that has spillover effects into those other three categories, as well as into the rest of their lives. It probably adds so much financial insecurity. So, so why does that financial insecurity have such a big impact on our mental and our physical health? Because so when you when you think about someone who's taking on debt, especially if it's unexpected, you know, we find in general that the life events that occur that are unexpected, and these are things like, you know, getting divorced, losing a parent, even a reorg at work, um, adult, your adult children moving back in, um, taking care of aging parents, all of those have a financial component. You know, if all of a sudden you have to spend extra money that you weren't expecting to um, and you're living sort of, you know, a tight margin with your budget, all of a sudden you're not sleeping at night because you're thinking about, well, how am I going to come up with the money for that? You may be thinking, you know, I need to take extra time at work, do an extra shift, things like that. And so then you stop exercising. And so all of these have a compounding effect, um, you know, into your overall ability to sleep. So at night when your finances are sort of out of order, you know, we looked at what really stresses people out. um, And we looked at, you know, a number of different categories, everything from, you know, their health to their in-laws to their friends. um, And of the the top 10 things that stress people out, um, five are financial. The number one thing in general is their job. You know, work, Mm. the demands of work can be stressful. But um, out of the top five, that work was number one. The next four were financial, and it was things like their overall financial situation, saving for the future, paying off debt. Um, Maintaining a budget was seventh, and um, tenth was investing is the last component. But so yeah, out of the top ten, five are financial. A 2018 National uh, Mental Health at Work study in the UK found that nearly 25% of employees struggled to make ends meet. And a a Forbes article last year said that 78% of workers in the U.S. are living paycheck to paycheck. So is this a global problem? Yeah, it definitely is a global problem. You know, we've started to look globally as well, both in, in Europe and Asia and around the world. And, you know, as more and more as employees are taking responsibility for saving for retirement, you know, moving from a DB pension system into a DC, they now have to start saving for retirement. As they start saving for retirement, that place that reduces their paycheck, right, in terms of how much they can spend, you know, on paying down their debt, on their rent, on their mortgage, things like that. So, you know, it is definitely a global problem in terms of, you know, managing your money um, in, in a fashion that will help you sleep at night. And it all comes back to, you know, making sure that you're not taking on too much debt to help people. We have a rule of thumb, um, that says, you know, when you think about your paycheck and how you allocate that, we suggest that no more than 36% of your paycheck should be going towards debt payments. Um, if you're spending more than that on debt payments, it can be hard to get a mortgage. And if you're spending more than that, you may not have enough money, right, to save, for food, clothing, shelter, you know, you want to take a vacation once in a while, it, it really reduces your ability to create a budget that, that you can live within. And I imagine there's, there's kind of different kinds of financial stress at different age groups. So let's talk about that a little bit. That same UK study that I mentioned was talking about younger workers, those in their 20s, and they had the highest job insecurity and probably lower wages. And 90% of them reported their mental health was affected by the cost of living. Another in the U.S., a Harris poll of young couples found that money caused the most stress on their relationships. 
and adults age 18 to 54 were almost twice as likely to cite money issues as the top stressor than those who were age 55 and older. So let's, let's go through the different groups. Young people who can take more risk in their investing. Um, and that, again, has a higher potential to, to yield higher investment income, or it could cause big losses and more stress. So what is your advice for young people so they can avoid financial stress? Yeah, so for young people, you know, time, time is their friend, right? So when you're young, um, you know, you, you're right, you didn't, don't necessarily have a lot of money, but what you do have is time. So when it comes to sort of investing, especially investing for retirement, you want to take that long-term view and you want to invest for growth. You know, when you're 25, you may have, you know, 35, 40 years before you retire. So you can be a little bit more aggressive in your investing. Um, you want to make sure that you're, you know, to reduce that stress, if, the, if your company offers company match, that you're taking advantage of any of the retirement savings benefits they offer, as well as any other benefits um, and perks that could help, you know, sort of reduce your expenses. Um, you know, many employers offer different benefits that, you know, around gym memberships and things like that, or where you can earn points um, for different things. So that's the first thing. The other is to really get a handle on your debt. Make sure that if you do have, you know, a lot of debt, you know, in the U.S., a lot of um, people are paying their student loans. They may have credit card debt. In other countries, they may be, you know, trying to save to get married, to buy a house. Um, and so it's really making sure that you understand what your goals are, your short-term goals, as well as your long-term goals, and then creating a plan to get there and not outliving your, you know, outspending your paycheck. Yep, right. Yep, right. Um, you want to make sure that you look holistically um, at your, your sort of portfolio of where your paycheck is going, and then consciously make decisions about, well, when you're young, maybe you do need a roommate or two for an extra couple of years to reduce your rent so that you can put money towards retirement or pay an extra payment on your debt. I think once you can get a handle on it, um, that's, the, that's really the first step. But you also have to have that long-term view in mind and make sure that you're taking advantage of any benefits that might be offered that could help you reduce expenses. Very helpful. Okay, how about uh, people who are mid-career? What would your advice be for them? Yeah, so mid-career, you know, is challenging. They're, they're really that sandwich generation or even, even more so now, you know, I've heard someone call it the panini generation because they're getting squeezed. Um, and so mid-career, I think the key is there where you may be starting to, you know, just inkling about retirement. But at that same time, you also may be trying to think about, okay, can I help pay for my children's college? You know, um, you have aging parents that you now maybe have to take care of. They may either be moving in with you, which could increase your expenses, um, or, you know, they may be, um, you know, need some health care that you may have to help pay for. So I think for mid-career, it's really about maximizing um, what you're putting towards retirement. As you're, you know, into your 40s, retirement isn't as far away as it was in your 20s. And so it's just ensuring that you, you don't sort of you know, start taking loans from your retirement, reducing your retirement savings to pay for other things. Because when you do get to retirement, you can't take a loan out to pay for your retirement, but you can take loans when you're in that mid-career to bridge short-term things. Um, and so that's, that's probably the first step is make sure that you keep your eye on the ball when it comes to retirement. Um, and then the, the other thing is to really make sure that you look at your asset allocation even in your 40s, you know, you still may have 20, 25 years before you retire. And then when you get to retirement, 
you're going to be living in retirement for 30 years. So you don't want to go too conservative too soon in your investment portfolio. Um, you really want to keep keep your eye on the ball for growth. Um, and then as you get into your 50s, you know, it's, it's things you really have to get more serious. Okay, so let's talk about that. Now, the people yeah. who are, are 55 and older. Yeah, so 55 and older, that's where you really want to start reducing your debt as much as possible. We did a study a few years ago at the, retire, uh, the Stanford Center on Longevity around the decision to retire, and we found that the people who have started to reduce their debt are more likely to be able to retire early um, and are more ready to retire. And so I think the as you get into your mid to late 50s, it's really about reducing that debt and then starting to create your income plan. You know, where are the different sources of income? You know, most countries offer, you know, a state pension system. That's, you know, some form of guaranteed income. Through an employer, you may have a defined contribution plan like a 401k um, and or a DB pension plan. Um, you may plan to work a little bit in retirement or you may have a younger spouse that's still working. So you really want to start to focus on, you know, where, how are you going to create that retirement paycheck? And it could come from many different sources. And so getting an understanding and a grip on that while reducing your debt um, is, is probably the first step um, in, in thinking about, you know, where do you go from here? Good. Okay. So retirement is probably one of the, the most important financial goals that, that many of us are facing. And it may be something that does cause some financial stress. So let's talk about it. Generally, how prepared are most of us for retirement? And I know you get asked this all the time. How much should we be saving for retirement? Yeah. So um, I would say in general, um, you know, in the U.S., um, I would say almost three quarters are, you know, in fair, good or on track for retirement. There's um, a little more than, um, you know, a quarter that need attention. Um and generally, globally, when we started to look, so we've looked at, you know, Germany, the UK, Japan, Hong Kong, um, they're a little bit behind where the U.S. is. I think that is really driven by the fact that in the U.S., um, Americans have been saving for retirement, and the 401k has really been, like, on the main stage for the past 30 years. So in terms of the need to save for retirement, there's a lot of, you know, visibility into that in the U.S., um, and then in terms of, you know, what is that benchmark against? So um, in the U.S., our, our guideline is, because we got asked the question so much, we, we created a multiple of salaries. So in the U.S., we suggest saving 10 times your pre-retirement income for when you retire. So, for example, um, hypothetically, if you were making $100,000 just before you retire, the goal would be to save 10 times that, so it would be a million dollars. Um, in, in the UK, it's only seven times your ending income. In Japan, it's seven times. In Germany, it's 10 times. Canada, 10 times. And the differences in those are really driven by, you know, inflation rates, um, capital market assumptions in each region, the state pension system in each region. And so the factors really vary. But this, this is sort of our suggested guidelines. Now, that said, everyone's personal situation is different. Um, those guidelines are based on maintaining your lifestyle in retirement. So if you want to live a little bit larger than you're living pre-retirement, you would need to have more than that. And if you're willing to adjust your lifestyle and maybe cut back in a few areas, you would need a little bit less than that. So it's really, this is just a guideline to engage people to think about it. Um, but, 
you know, it really can vary depending on what your goals are. Good. So in, that's the target. How well would you yeah. say people are doing in terms of, of those guidelines? Yeah, I would say, you know, in general, people are doing okay. You know, when we, we did, um, a, you know, an analysis of the U.S. population, um, and when we look at that, 37% are on track, um, so they won't have to make any adjustments. 17% are good, 18% are fair, and then there's 28% that really need attention, um, and they would have to make significant adjustments to their retirement lifestyle based on what they've saved already. So, so like, for the, so for the like, most part, we're doing, we're okay. doing okay. Good. Okay, so and it's like this, that last part, that 20%. Um, some people may be hearing those guidelines and you can just feel the stress building because they haven't saved nearly the amount of money that the guidelines suggest. So is all lost for those people? What would you say to them? Yeah, no, nothing is ever lost. So that's, well, let's just say that, you know, the guidelines are just meant to be that a guideline to engage people to actually start thinking about what are, what levers can they pull? Um, And so I, I, you know, I know I've said this before, I'll say it again. I don't think we can say it enough. I think the first lever um, is to sort of pay down debt and consolidate debt payments to get sort of a handle on it. Um, the second is to make sure that they're taking advantage of any company matching contributions or profit sharing, um, you know, and reducing expenses is another way to ensure that they, you know, if they want to increase their savings, um, try reducing expenses, bring your lunch, make your own coffee. And you might think, you know, well, I can only increase my savings by 1%. Can 1% really make a difference? You know, in fact, it can make a difference. We looked at, um, we did an analysis of, you know, someone, um, who saved 1% more, and it would be roughly $33 out of their paycheck a month today. But in retirement, through investing in growth, that $33 that would reduce their paycheck today would translate into $300 a month in retirement. Wow. wow. And so what might seem like a small amount today with um, you know, growth and compounding can really change you know, into a lot in retirement. So that small increase can really make a big difference. There's some tips for younger people, but as you get older, um, you know, you can start to think about, you know, so for young people, you know, in the U.S., we recommend by age 30 having one times your income saved. If they don't have that, that's where they can start to say, okay, let me try to pay down some debt. Let me try to make sure I'm taking advantage of any company match. You know, let me, you know, reduce my expenses. As they're getting older um, into retirement, uh, you know, into their 40s and 50s, thinking about retirement, that's where they can start to maybe make different choices about how they live in retirement. And that's, you know, one of the, some of the options are downsizing on your house, reducing a mortgage, potentially working longer or working part-time or even full-time in retirement. You know, they may want to have sort of that second career um, doing something slightly different and, and working. And then the other is really to adjust your vision of what your retirement lifestyle is going to be like, you know, if it's, you know, instead of playing, you know, if you want to play golf or travel, you know, maybe it's only once a month instead of twice a month, that kind right. of thing. And what are some of the big expenses that Fidelity has, again, I'm sure done done studies on these things, of the kind of expenses that we are going to have in retirement? What are the ones that are surprising people? Well, I think the one that probably surprises people and the one, you know, that most people underestimate, and this is you know, sort of more relevant in the U.S. is healthcare costs. Mm. Um, you know, most people don't think about the healthcare costs in retirement. Um, some, 
you know, even think that Medicare is free, that they're not going to have to pay premiums or pay for Medicare, which they do. Um, and, you know, so we did a, a study to try to estimate what the health care cost in retirement would be. And so for a couple who's 65 retiring today, they can expect to pay $285,000 for health care in retirement. And so that breaks down, you know, for um, women, um, it's $150,000. And then for men, it's one hundred thirty-five. dollars for hmm. women, it's a bit more because their longevity is longer. Right. And so the longer you live, the more money you need. Um, and so, you know, we, we anticipate that annually 15% of their retirement paycheck, and, you know, that can come from, you know, state pension, it can come from D.C. plans, will go towards health care costs. So in, and that's specific to the U.S. You know, in other regions um, across the world, you know, there's socialized medicine, um, and so the healthcare isn't as a factor, but housing could be a factor. There could be other things that are bigger factors in other regions. Got it. So for those who do invest money in the stock market, does the volatility of the market cause stress? And what would you say to someone who is kind of worried about that volatility? Yeah. And so in our experience, the volatility does cause stress. I mean, generally when the market enters a period of volatility, you know, we have many more people calling us, many more people checking, you know, their accounts online. So we do know that it does cause stress. Um, sort of, you know, the best, the best suggestion, the, fir- the first and probably most important is not to have a knee-jerk reaction. Um, you know, we always recommend that people have a plan to understand what are their goals for right. investing and making sure that they align their investment portfolio to those goals. And so, you know, if you're young, you know, you're in your 20s or 30s and you have, you know, another 30 or 40 years to invest um, and you're invested, you know, probably for growth and in equities, you don't want to have that knee-jerk reaction. If you move to a too conservative portfolio when you're that young, you'll likely never reach your retirement goals. Um, you know, for older people, again, they may want to, you know, we, check, we recommend checking in at least once a year on your portfolio to make sure that it's aligned to your goals. Because like I mentioned earlier, people have different life events that happen and, and things can really change. You know, your goals may change, you know, you get married, you have some kids, you're aging parents. And so right. you just want to make sure that you're always aligned um, to those goals. Um, and if you are, you know, making sure that you don't have this react, you know, knee-jerk to reaction to the market. Um, but if you really can't stomach it, you know, then we, then we suggest, you know, considering professional management using um, something like a target date fund, which is, you know, um, it sort of manages the portion of, you know, stocks, bonds, and cash based on your target retirement date. Um, So that way you don't have to actively manage it yourself um, or a managed account, which is a more customized version um, based on your goals of managing your your investment. What do you say to to, to people who are thinking about borrowing from their retirement savings. Yes, so to, to borrow from your retirement savings, you know, we, we typically don't recommend it. Um, we, you know, for many people, that, that is time where the money is out of the market. Um, and depending on what the market's doing, you know, you could really miss out on those gains. Um, there's a lot of other, you know, you can certainly go to a bank and take loans. Um, and you really want to keep that money invested to take advantage of, you know, sort of the ups and downs in the market. Um, And what we find, too, is that many people, when they take a loan um, from, you know, say in the U.S. from their 401k, it it reduces their paycheck because the loan repayments go automatically um, out of their, to pay that loan back from their paycheck. 
And so what we find then is people reduce their savings rate. Um, and when they reduce their savings rate, they're, you know, maybe reducing not only their savings rate, but the amount that they may be receiving in any company match. So it has sort of a double whammy effect. Um, and so if you can borrow from another source, we do suggest that because it's not only the the loss of the growth in the market, but if you have to reduce your savings rate to make those loan repayments, you're not only missing out on that, but also any match in contributions. So we do recommend exploring other options. Okay, I want to get your take on this. When when you constantly compare yourself to your friends and you can't a- afford the kinds of luxuries they seem to be posting on Facebook and other social media it can kind of make you feel inadequate or build feelings of depression. Do you think that social media has contributed to the link between financial instability and mental or physical health? Yeah, I I, I definitely think it's very possible. I mean, when you see, you know, people taking these exotic vacations, you know, in the Northeast and it's constantly snowing here and you see people down in the Caribbean, (laughs) um, you know, or you see people you know, hiking the Great Wall of China and, you know, you're you're sitting in your apartment or your house thinking, what am I doing wrong? But I I do think that, um, you know, this is where it comes back to being really focused and having a clear vision of what your goals are um, and revisiting those because, you know, spending, you know, and I I actually tell my kids this and, and, you know, others that I work with that, you know, you can make all the money in the world, but if you're spending it all, you don't really have any wealth. And so if, you know, wealth accumulation so that you can live sort of that life that you want to live in retirement. You do have to make conscious choices today about where you spend your money. And there's some, you know, there's some element of with seeing everybody else, you know, on the different social media sites and the lives they're living, but they are making trade-offs, right, to achieve those those vacations or the new car mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And so I think having a clear vision of, you know, it's not that you can't ever have that. It's maybe just not today. Right. And you have to sort of focus on, you know, in the next year, these are my financial goals and this is what it's going to allow me to do. Um, And so I do think it has contributed to some. But I also think that, you know, a way to kind of get around that, um, you know, sort of that social side or the mental health side of it is to be really clear about what you want and then outlining the path to get there. Stay the course. Yeah, makes sense. Stay the course. Yep, stay the course. Okay, you mentioned your kids. How important is it for parents to model good financial decisions for their children? So I think it's very important. I mean, parents are the first teachers, um, and your kids are constantly watching you for cues. Even when you don't think that they're watching you, they're watching you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as my kids, uh, I have two kids. They recently, um, I'm just a recent empty nester. They're both in college. Um, and as we were preparing them for college and talking about, you know, having a checking account, a savings account, you know, a credit card, we started that conversation with them very early so that, you know, it's not like they're getting to college and having a credit card for the first time and racking up all of this debt. Um, and so I think it's really important to talk to kids about, you know, how do you spend your money? You know, start small with basic concepts about spending and saving um, you know, my kids used to, you go to the store and they say, oh, can we buy this? Can we buy this? And it's it's not that we can't afford it. It's that we're not going to choose to spend our money in that way. Right, right. right? And it's, so it's like teaching them that you have money and the money can buy things, but you have to be conscious about, you know, where do you want to spend your money and not, you know, getting into the impulse buy. You know, you go to the grocery store or the supermarket and they have all the candy. 
right at the checkout. Um, and that's where you get into this impulse buying. And I think it's really about teaching them that it's, you can afford things. It's just, do you choose to do that or not? And making really smart decisions. And again, it's outlining what is your goal and then how do you reach those goals? Got it. Okay. There was a, a popular Beatles song. I'm going to date myself here. A popular Beatles song in the 60s called Can't Buy Me Love. And we often hear <laughs> that, that money doesn't buy happiness. So just want your opinion. Can having a lot of money reduce your stress or does it just create more stress? So in my experience, it can, it can create more stress. I think whether you have a lot of money or a little money, if you don't have a good handle on your financial situation, it's going to cause stress. I think, you know, more money can definitely create more stress because all of a sudden, you know, everything gets more complicated. The more money you have, the more likely you are to spend it. You know, there's bigger tax implications of it, and then you have to sort of deal with that. But I think regardless of whether you have a lot or a little, um, you know, it's it's how much of a sense of control. A lot of it comes down to control. Do you feel like your financial situation is in control? If you don't have a lot of money, but you feel like you've you've got your budget, you've got managing your debt, your savings is on track, and you're adequately protecting yourself, you know, you have an emergency fund or a rainy day fund, and you've got life insurance, disability, you know, then you're, you're going to be able to sleep at night. You know, if you're making a lot of money, but you haven't thought about, you know, any of those things, you are going to be stressed. And similarly, if you're not making a lot of money and you haven't thought about those things, you're going to be stressed. So a lot of it comes down to control and sort of thinking about the, sort of the four domains of financial wellness, the budget, debt, savings, and protection, and making sure you have a plan for each of those. Very good. Okay, let's talk for just a moment about financial challenges that, that women face. Uh, some of the, the global stats show that income generally is lower for a lot of women, and they uh, will need more retirement because they statistically live longer than men. So what advice would you have to lessen the financial stress for women? Yeah, for women. And so what's interesting is we actually find, you know, when we when we adjust for income, women are better savers. So women tend to save more, even though, you know, they may, you know, dollar for dollar may not make as much. Um, they do. They are very good savers. Um, the best advice we have for women is they generally will live longer. And even, you know, when I quoted how much they're going to need for health care, it's more, you know, men will need 135K to pay for health care in retirement in the U.S. and then women 150,000. So they will live longer. Um, a couple of things to sort of help reduce the stress for women um, would be, you know, they, they are the ones that really maybe need to think about potentially working longer, right? So if they got a late start, we also find that many women take time out of the workforce, whether it's to care for children when they're young or for an aging parent when they're older or just changing careers. And so, you know, to make up for that lost time as they get older to, you know, in the U.S., they can make catch-up contributions. Um, and then potentially to think about working longer. And working longer doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I've got to stay in the same job with the same employer for the next 40 years. It, it can be, you know, a variety of different things um, as they get older. The, the other advice for women, too, if they're not engaged in their finances, you know, we find that, um, you know, a lot of times in a, in a relationship, one person will take on, you know, sort of the financial aspect, and in many cases, you know, the spouse may be um, a male. And in that case, the women don't even know the passwords to get into the accounts. They don't understand the life insurance policies. Um, and then something happens. They either get divorced or widowed, and they, they have no visibility 
into the situation and it takes many women um, by surprise. So, you know, apart from thinking about making sure that they're saving, it's to be engaged um, in that discussion with their, with their spouse or partner to ensure that they have, you know, basic, they don't have to get into all the details, but they need to know, you know, what are our policies? What are the accounts? Where are the passwords? And to have an understanding, you know, that's critical. That makes sense. So we have been talking about solutions, but just to kind of put things into really simple capsules for people, how can we avoid financial stress? What are some things that we can do to start improving our financial health so that we can reduce that stress and lessen the impact on our our physical and mental health? Yeah, so I'll give you four tips and um, one for each each of the categories of financial wellness. So when it comes to a budget, our rule of thumb, um, one is that a have a budget, right? But then when you think about, you know, how do I get to that? You know, our simple rule of thumb is that it's the 50, 15, five. So 50%, spend no more than 50% of your paycheck on food, clothing, shelter. Um, and so that's your essential expenses. So you spend about half your paycheck on that. Try to aim to save 15% for retirement and then 5% for short-term or emergency. And the other 35% can go for discretionary. Those are things like going out to dinner, eating, um, things like that. Now, this is just an overall guideline um, to get people engaged in it. But into each person, you know, depending on where where you live in the country, you know, if it's in, you know, Manhattan or Paris, you know, the, the housing expenses may be more. Um, but that's just a general rule of thumb, the 50-15-5. So it's 50% on essential expenses, 15% for retirement, 5% for emergencies, and the rest is discretionary. Very good. The second is on debt. And um, as I mentioned before, that's to spend no more than 36% of your paycheck on debt payments. Um, and then for savings, we recommend 15% of your paycheck go to retirement savings. And then protection there's really two two components there. One is to have an emergency or rainy day fund of three to six months of your income. And then the second is to make sure that you have, you know, health insurance, which that's more relevant in the U.S., um, but then disability, life insurance, et cetera. We find that many people take on life insurance, but they're much more likely to become disabled or have a short-term disability, you know, at work. And so to make sure that when you're looking at insurance, it's not just health insurance, but life and disability as well. So let's talk about that emergency fund. How much should they have? And, and talk about what it is. Yeah, so um, we call emergency fund. I know in other parts of the world they, call, they refer to it as rainy day fund. But essentially, it's the same thing. So that's things where you don't want, and you t- we talked about taking loans earlier, where something comes up. It's an unexpected emergency or a rainy day. You know, your car breaks down, your hot water heater goes, um, you know, your someone breaks an arm or your, you know, your aging parents need to move in with you and you need, you know, sort of some, some quick money. So we recommend putting away three to six months of your salary um, in, in a sort of rainy day or emergency fund to pay for those expenses. So because generally, you know, in your monthly budget with your paycheck, you don't really have the, the, the room to just pay, you know, a thousand bucks or whatever it is to get your car fixed. And so having this emergency fund will allow you to tap into that without getting off track on your monthly expenses. Um, and so, so we recommend putting that aside. And again, this is something where you can start small. You know, if you think about, oh, my God, how am I going to get to saving at least three months and then six months? 
Um, that's where you could take things if you get a tax refund, you know, if you, um, you know, or work overtime or you get a bonus, you can put a little bit away. And even you start with the 1%, you know, you put a little bit away and over time, it really can accumulate. It's helpful. Is it better for people who are feeling this huge financial stress to call a financial advisor or a therapist? <laughs> or, maybe or maybe both. both. <laughs> or both. <laughs> right, perhaps both. Yeah, I think um, you know, an advisor, financial advisor, can really help um, you know, sort of manage the money, which will reduce the stress. Right, feeling is that again, it comes back to that sense of control. If you're just going to go to a therapist, you know, they can maybe talk to you about sort of med- meditation and coping strategies, but but you're not getting to the root cause, right? When when something's stressing you out, it's really you have to understand what is that root cause, and until you solve for the root cause. Um, the stress isn't going to go away. So, the, you know, and I'm, probably I'm a bit biased here, um, you know, working for Fidelity, but I would say the first step is to kind of get your finances under control. Um, it, can't, it probably couldn't hurt, you know, if you're very stressed out to, to under, get some coping strategies from a therapist, but I do think that the, the first step of getting, um, you know, your, your financial plan and your goals and your budget clearly defined will help relieve some of that stress because then you'll feel like you know what's going on, you know what the plan is, and now things may, you know, the market may go up and down or you may have, you know, some sort of your car or your hot water heater break, but you'll know how you're going to address those things if you have a plan. Okay, Jeannie, if, if you choose to talk to a financial planner, what should you have prepared? I think a lot of people listening probably have never talked to a financial planner what are some of those initial things that you need to keep in mind before you talk? Yeah, so do you, first, to remember that financial planners are people too, and their job is to help you. So don't, don't sort of be intimidated. Um, and I think the, the real thing that you want to come to that, converse, that first conversation with is, you know, what are your short-term financial goals and then your long-term? I mean, their job is to really help you achieve your goals, and they have a lot of strategies to do that. And they may, you know, ultimately after that first meeting, ask you to gather different documents. But I think the first is, you know, if you go knowing, hey, I want to pay down my debt or, hey, I want to create a budget because I want to do X, Y, Z, you know, I want to start saving for a house or a wedding or whatever. Understanding that will really help. And then what are your long-term goals? You know, financially, where do you want to be in five years, 10 years? And you don't have to overthink it. Um, sometimes we get, you know, sort of over-engineer things. But I think having, you know, three short-term goals, three long-term goals, that's the first step to opening that door, building the relationship, and having that conversation. Very good. You've talked to your, your financial advisor. Maybe you've even reached out to a therapist. What are other tips that can help reduce that financial stress? Yeah, you know, if you don't, if you don't want to go to the, to the therapist, but you are feeling stressed out, you know, sort of the two things that we recommend and that came out of our um, stress research that we had done was one is to exercise. And when I say exercise, I don't mean that you need to go out and do a marathon or, um, you know, a triathlon, but really it's just about, you know, potentially getting outside, going for a walk, maybe doing a yoga class. It doesn't, if you're not into high impact, it doesn't have to be that. If you are into high impact, absolutely go run five miles. Um, but I do think that that is a great stress reliever. Um, the second is friends. We found that, you know, to all stress, spending time with friends, maybe not always family, but in some cases family, but really friends, and whether they're friends, you know, outside the workplace or within the workplace, that can really help um, to reduce that stress. 
And then I think the third thing is sleep. Make sure that you're getting enough sleep. We found that people that tend to be more stressed out are not getting seven hours of sleep a night. And so, you know, it is, it is important to make sure that you're well rested because when you are under stress, if you add the component of lack of sleep, everything just seems worse. All great so advice. Jeannie Thompson, you are incredible. Thank you so much for your insights. You're welcome. This was great. Thank you, Bob. Although nearly everyone has felt financial stress, the good news is there are things that can be done to help reduce the impact of financial difficulties on your mental and physical health, like making the decision to raise your own financial IQ by reading books, listening to podcasts, or attending financial education opportunities, things that can help you learn to change behaviors so you can avoid that stress altogether. If you ever get to the point of not knowing where to turn and you need to talk to someone, you can always turn to helpful resources provided by HPE. U.S. employees can get free expert financial advice and guidance from Fidelity. You'll find a link to Fidelity as well as other resources on HPE Wellness under Financial Wellness. Another financial wellness resource available to U.S. employees is the opportunity to meet one-on-one with a financial expert at EY. You can get free help with budgeting, tackling debt, or other financial goals. You'll find a link on HPE Wellness. For employees outside the U.S., there are experienced counselors at HPE's Employee Assistance Program, or EAP, who can help with financial issues. You'll find links and contact information for your local EAP on the Global Wellness page. That's all for this edition of Straight Talk for Real Life. Our thanks again to Jeannie Thompson at Fidelity. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Let's talk again soon.